0: I got married a couple years ago, you know, obviously it was a big deal, and and I think, you know, as I think back to my playing days, it just, I think at a time, you know, I had a girlfriend when I was out there on tour, I was really trying to um, achieve the most I could in sports, and I think for me, it wasn't until after I had left the game that I really had to come full circle with myself, understand who I am as a person, where am I going, am I happy, and I had to come to terms with some things about my sexuality, and that was not easy, especially coming from a sports background.
1: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week, Brian vahaley Brian played at UVA. Very, very good college player. Made a nice transition to the pros. Got to top 100. Was a regular at majors and other events. Some very nice wins in his career. Beat Juan Carlos Ferrero, And Juan Carlos Ferrero's the number one player in the world. He retired on account of injury and is now... A venture capitalist. We talk a little bit about his tennis career, his relationship with the sport in retirement. We talk about what it's like for him to be a husband. We also talk about what it's like for Brian to have a husband. He married uh, two years ago, now has two children. I didn't know this. Now lives in Annapolis, Maryland, a great city. Anyway, this is a nice conversation with uh, a player who uh, was who always fun to cover 10, 12 years ago, Brian Mahaley, it's our, our standard first question where are we getting you
0: uh, i live out um i live out on the water in annapolis but i'm in the uh i'm right in the dc area that's where i work
1: oh nice i didn't realize that are you yep. uh you you commute or can you work from home
0: i commute i work from home a couple days a week and then i go in uh three days um so it's you know not ideal from a, a traffic standpoint but you know it's fine
1: don't uh don't text and drive i i, I was just telling you <laughs> i said i said that. Annapolis is like the uh, the Charleston of the Mid Atlantic. Annapolis, great town. Good, uh, <laughs> I good love video. it. It's
0: a great. It is a wonderful town. In the water. I feel remarkably patriotic for being there. You see all these folks walking around the Navy, and um, it's just sort of a nice, small, more uh, suburban feel to the sort of chaos of D.C. And when I was living there for in the city for about five or six years.
1: That's. Uh, I, I didn't realize you were there. That's that's a good uh, that's a good landing spot. Um, yeah. So I, I was. Uh, we we have no agenda at these things. We sort of bounce around. But uh, but uh, I was I was at an NBA event for players in their 40s and 50s the other day, and uh, maybe we'll start here. I I was really struck by how sort of complex their relationship with their sports still is. So some of them are are still reliving the 1993 playoffs, and others don't even know what teams are good today. What, what's your relationship with uh with tennis right now?
0: You know, I would say if you would have asked me that about six or seven years ago, it sort of felt a little bit like a death in the family. Um, You know, you sort of tennis was all you know about yourself. You you define yourself that way. And and how do you reinvent yourself knowing that you can't go back and do it again? There's there's adrenaline um, and competition and pressure that happens that you just cannot replicate in the real world. And I think you sort of seek to keep it alive by talking about it, by living it through it, by talking to friends who were there when those moments were happening. Um, But I, you know, for me, for a period, I just, I couldn't talk about it. I didn't like to be around it. I wasn't playing, I wasn't watching it. uh, And I needed to sort of um, begin the process for me of, of letting it go and reinventing myself in a new career. And that's not what everybody does, right? A lot of people will stay around it and stay around it for the rest of their lives, either reflecting on their glory days or continuing to be a part of it. Uh, for me, um, it was just important. It just wasn't – that wasn't a good fit for my personality. So I needed to move on to Chapter 2, I guess.
1: I, I, as I remember this, though, so you transitioned pretty quick. I mean, you had that – the ca- Career 2.0 was something you entered pretty soon after your retirement, though, right? And you, didn't, you didn't take you know, five I mean, years I, bouncing
0: around. I, yeah, I struggled with – a ro- I had to stop playing because of rotator cuff injuries. I had a bunch of surgeries and finally could not come back. And, you know, life after tennis was always in the back of my mind. And, and some of that may have been the way my parents raised me. Education was a, was a big component uh, for me growing up. I, it was important to me to get a college degree. Um, and, frankly, there were a lot of people who beat up on me pretty bad in the juniors and, and in the college days that did not make it successfully as a pro. So I had no reason to think that I was going to do something that they could not. Uh, so I always wanted to be prepared for a backup plan. Um, so, you know, fairly quickly, I'd say about a year, year and a half after uh, I'd stopped competing, um, I was out there and, and on to the next chapter.
1: And you, you went to, you went to UVA, obviously you, you didn't go there as, Hey, I'm going to do this for a year and then turn pro. I mean, you sort of, what, what went in as a freshman anticipating graduation or were you sort of going to play it out and see, see where your game was going
0: to take you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, at that point I really didn't know. I mean, I was I was ranked 17 in the ITF in the world junior ranking. So you know, one would think looking back, I had potential to to go pro maybe earlier than I did. Right. Um, you know, my family we didn't have the experience or understanding. We weren't getting a lot of um, guidance on what the right path was. I knew I liked the idea of going to a college where I loved the academics and the athletics, I liked the idea of going and building something and, and sort of feeling like an entrepreneur in a new tennis environment and ecosystem, which at the time, UVA was ranked, I believe, 50 when, when I made the decision to go. Um, and, you know, would pro tennis be wonderful? Yeah, it'd be great, but it, but it wasn't Uh, At the forefront of my decision what was more important to my family who was frankly calling the shots a lot at that point was where can I get the best education and uh, I knew I wanted to jump into business UVA had a very strong undergraduate business program Um, You know, it was it it sort of just felt like a no-brainer to me. Uh, Maybe not for people who are, you know, at at that point in time hell-bent on being a professional tennis player.
1: UVA, uh, UVA needs a coach. I think they need a women's coach too. Actually, too. Uh... I know
0: it's it's depressing. I've sort of loved this legacy, or not even legacy.
1: Um, uh, yeah, but sort of the lineage. You, for... you you built this program up, and uh, yeah, you know something. you
0: felt a part of it at the early days, and then to see him win national championships, you sort of you sort of get used to it. And now it's 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 scary to think the uh, <laughs> that might go away. But what Bolin built there was incredible, and I'm super excited that he's going to be part of the USTA.
1: Someone, uh, you know, Eric Schmidt leaves Google. They'll, they'll, sure. I'm sure a successor will, uh, will come in. What, um, what, what was your upbringing like? You're, you're, you, you, didn't come from a tennis family, or you did?
0: I did not. Um, you know, my family. I grew up in Camden, New Jersey, which was the, you know, the murder capital of the I think, of the country. Uh, we quickly moved out of there to uh, Cherry Hill for a while, then down to Atlanta. I really got involved in tennis um, because it was just a local park nearby. Uh, I actually saw Jaws uh, at an early age, so I was terrified of going into the pool. Um, And my parents just to sort of keep me quiet, um, you know, threw me out on a tennis court. And I just, I think I had really strong hand-eye coordination as a kid. And, you know, thinking back to those years, um, for me, it was really more about the attention I was getting. You know, you were a a tennis player at five, four or five years old. Everybody thought you were great. And, um, you know, I think that sort of fed the love for it. And then as, as the years went on, I just... It kind of kept building on itself and as you keep winning you just sort of explore more and more and it starts at a city level a state sectionals and you know national international play but definitely not anything my parents had in mind you know when the whole thing started
1: i gotta tell you for all the uh for all the programs i've heard at the usta and elsewhere to get kids to play tennis sh- showing them shark movies uh has, has not come up before honest <laughs> I, <mean, laughs> I, I
0: think i was terrified <laughs> until i was about 10 years old uh somehow i got free, but it was you know it worked no uh
1: no shark bites and no head injuries. Um, it's interesting. Exactly. I mean you you moved on to you moved on to a career in finance. and I, I always thought that when you talked before about replicating the the highs of being a tennis player and others have talked about there's you know at my job, there's no scoreboard at the end of the day, and that's something that took time to get used to. I, I always thought that finance sort of provided that or it potentially provided that anyway. Did, um, you, it, can, you just... it,
0: yeah, it really just depends on what part of finance you're doing. Right now, I'm in the venture capital space, so you know we're making investments in company at the very early stage, very similar to maybe what you would see on a Shark Tank, and you know we're not finding out the, how successful that's going to be at times for three, four, or five years, and that is painful for somebody like me who wants to go home, I want to be the winner, I want people to know that I've won, and I'd like to beat people in very hand-to-hand combat. And instead, you know, you oftentimes this is about a long term disciplined investment strategy, which, you know, you can still do the right things on a daily basis, but it feels like the tournament never really happens. And by the time you have won, those people who were maybe, you know, your doubters in the early days, they've sort of long moved past. And I think with tennis, you sort of felt like people would look you in the eye and say, I don't think you're good enough. I don't think you're tall enough, fast enough, strong enough. And then you could go onto a tennis court and prove them to be wrong. So there's there's an element of patience in finance, at least in what I'm particularly doing within venture capital that I've had to learn, and oh,
1: that's it's frustrating. Uh, what, it, your... it is
0: frustrating, I will tell you. I, I miss it. I miss I miss the feeling of winning, and I miss the um, what you learn from losing. And oftentimes, you're not losing enough or fast enough in finance to, to be able to improve. You're
1: you're not losing fast enough. Uh, but what what's your? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I don't know what stage of of uh... A venture capital fund you you have, but, but what's what's your batting average? I mean, if you're if you if you're one for four, are you happy?
0: Yeah. Oh, you'd be thrilled. Yeah, that's what I. So f- I mean, so I so think, I think in that's general, interesting too, yeah, right? It's it's unbelievably frustrating. I mean, and a lot of this has been a, a change over time. So you think about the junior and college days, you're going to win. My college record was probably you know forty-five and two, and then you shift to the pro game, and you're lucky to be at five hundred. Um, and now you're shifting into, you know, venture capital world and you're you're hoping to bat, you know, <laughs> maybe 15, 20 percent of the time you hit a winner. So um, it's that's interesting. I mean, it, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make it uh,
1: that that doesn't make it easier in a sense that you're not putting pressure on you it, to hit a home run every at bat.
0: No, no, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. And I wish I could explain what the difference is. But maybe it's the affirmation you're getting from big wins that you sort of miss out on. Uh, and I think oftentimes you'll find the best tennis players will say one of the biggest things that drives them is the fear of losing, right. because the pain of losing can be really difficult. And it's just hard to me to feel like I'm making these risks, knowing that you know eighty percent of them are going to be losses. I always want to feel like I'm constantly winning. Um, and you know you got to just shift expectations a little bit.
1: <laughs> how was you know that's interesting actually. how How was that for you as as a player was s- some people will tell you that the the, the pain of losing, you know, is a stronger emotion than the joy of winning. It's sort of classic loss aversion, right? That that we're, we make decisions sure. based on fear of loss more than uh, the prospect of gain. On the other hand, you know, you, when you – I was looking at your – I mean, you, you beat Juan Carlos Ferrero when he was number one in the world. You beat Sam Querrey. You know, took a set off Safman in Australia, an event he won. You had some real highs as a as a player.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and those moments are – Are great. I mean, I, you know, got the opportunity to beat Michael Chang, who was sort of my role model growing up. I had some great wins at Indian Wells and those moments are, I certainly stick with me and I could get goosebumps just thinking back to those. But the reality is those moments tend to be few and far between. I think in general, you'll find a lot of players talk about a feeling of relief with victory as opposed to, um, wow, this is an amazing moment. Let's go out there and celebrate. Even in times of victory, you always felt like, there was another tournament coming next week. Now there's going to be more eyes looking on you. The pressure and expectations only grow as your ranking grows. Right, so the opportunity right. to really sit there and enjoy that moment is really not not really there. What, what is there is uh, the feeling of pain uh, and of, of loss, and especially losing to people you're not supposed to lose to. And doing it on a very public forum in front of friends, family, and your peers and that loss uh, sits with you all day. It can sit with you, you know, depending on the the size of the loss or the size of the choke. It can send for you for for a year. Uh, and those moments of victory just don't just don't last that long, <laughs> unfortunately.
1: I, I I have a UVA degree to fall back on. Is is that? Blunting your, uh, I mean, is that, is that a help or a hindrance when you're out there trying to make it?
0: Uh, it was, for me, it was a big help because it was able to take pressure off. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I think makes players great is when they can really loosen up and play their best tennis in the biggest stages. And unfortunately, it is just very difficult when a lot of people are watching or the big moments come to actually be able to do that. And for me, you know, you sort of, I always tried to rely on this is not my everything. Right. This is about me going to be the best I can be, to have the most fun I can. And for, you know, you're always trying to find what that lie is. You need to tell yourself to enable you to relax in the big moments. I, I and say, for some people that's, I'm the greatest person in the world. I can beat anybody. For other people, it's, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. I've got an education to fall back on. You know, there's always um, stories you're telling yourself. I was going sto- sto- to say, stories, uh,
1: narrative sounds better than lies. But uh, no, my, my my favorite is always uh, I, I have to prove the doubters. You know, Flo- Floyd Mayweather will be a 13 to one favorite to win. And will say, like, nobody respects me. I'm out to prove the doubters wrong. You, yeah. you sort of say, you, I mean, that's, that's what you tell yourself. For,
0: for me, uh, without a doubt, the narrative in my brain would change based on who I was competing against. And there was a feeling in certain players, I want to be able to prove them wrong. And that inspired me. And others, it was like you know I'm trying to relax myself and like hey there's a life outside of it and I tried to take my vision almost at a 10,000 you know foot view of the court to try and relax myself. You really have to be able to know what uh, words, what things to say, what what things to draw upon based on the moment you're experiencing to get yourself back at neutral, because the truth is your emotions are kind of all over the place when you're out there. It's, really it's, depending it's really on the on the wind conditions on the Player that you're playing against, on the fans that are there, the quantity of fans, how angry they are at you. I mean, there's a million variables you got to go through. Um, you know, and I think the mental side of it is just is important. To at least it was for me to just to figure out how to um, get into that headspace so that I could play the best that I could.
1: To to me, this is always just as interesting, if not more so, than what is he doing with this cross court backhand. But. Uh, um, <laughs> You, you, uh, I, I was saying, I was, I was thinking to myself, you, you have something very few former athletes have. That's a, that's a husband. I, I didn't, I didn't want to start here. You, you, you know, we're we're all more than uh, we're all more than our sexual orientation. But I also think this is sort of significant. You, uh, you got married two years ago, didn't you?
0: I got married a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it was a, you know, obviously it was a big deal. And, and I think, you know, at the time, you know, as I think back to my playing days, it just, you know, you're so focused on your sport you're so focused on winning on, on being you recognize what a short window uh competition is and you don't want to do anything to distract from that and i think at the time you know i had a girlfriend when i was out there on tour i was really trying to um achieve the most i could in sports and i think for me it wasn't until after i had left the game that i really had to come full circle with myself understand who i am as a person where am i going am i happy um and i had to come to terms with some things some things about my sexuality and that was not easy uh especially coming from a sports background and it really caused me for a long period of time to want to understand it to not really want to talk about it to um you know it 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 was a it was a it was a long learning curve um that uh, i'm happy to be on the other side of now And, and thankfully you know over the last few years found someone got married a couple years back uh, most recently, had uh, two kids via surrogate, and um, you know, it's been a—it's uh, it, sort of the fastest way to describe what has felt like—an extremely journey over the last ten years.
1: It's—it's it, really interesting to me because um, I, I mean, it—it it sounds as though w- when we we talk about sort of in other cases we talk about the psychic energy it must take. It's it, in some ways for athletes who you know are are pondering whether to come out or concealing orientation it sounds as though something you sort of postponed dealing with until after you were done playing Is that accurate
0: you know I think I must have put a lot of energy when I was competing and I I probably didn't know it Um, but I think there was always this feeling of wanting to be a little bit I became really great at asking other people questions and being everybody's friend but being very private myself and maybe because I didn't want to have to ask those personal questions of myself and that was sort of a defense mechanism that I built up over a, over a period of time when I was out there on tour. I think afterwards, for me, it was, you know, I didn't really want, especially directly after I finished competing, and I was starting to come to terms with it. You know, a year or two right after I was done, I didn't want to look back on my career and be known for um, my sexuality as the primary uh, memory of my of what I was able to accomplish. So because you, you know, yeah, when you when you work at something for for 25 years, you get up and, you know, 5am and you're training after school and you're missing high schools and proms and graduations. And, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot to take, to pull a lot of moments and wins and experiences, um, out of, out of somebody like me who frankly wasn't the most athletic, wasn't the most talented, but I fought like hell. And I wanted to be remembered for that. And I wanted to be remembered for work I had done with my foundation. I wanted to be seen as the guy who um you know really was persevering and and told a lot of the doubters that i could that i could accomplish something that i could not um Essentially, so you, you the, think this would
1: and that would have you, you think this would have sort of rewritten and trump yeah everything. i mean
0: i think especially in the early days you know you, all of a sudden you quickly become the the athlete that was gay right and right. i just did not at that point in time and that level of my confidence security um you know, and frankly, understanding of myself, that's just not how I want it to be remembered by. And, um, you know, so I, for very selfish reasons, just sort of thought, you know what, this is something I'm going to explore on my own. I never sort of saw myself being a pioneer, you know, a pioneer or an advocate to go out there and really talk about it. Uh, it just was something that I had to come to terms with. I had to sort of mourn the life that I thought I was going to be living, you know, with a, a wife with kids and a you know this life that I that I thought I was building um, and uh, you know kind of realize what the new normal was going to look like and and the new normal was exciting and it is great but it was tough to go through and i think at the time i just i was looking at it more from my lens and not wanting to uh, attach that adjective it's the first adjective people remembered about me
1: what what do you say th- i mean have you thought about what how accepting the workforce would have been had, had you made a different decision? I mean, do, do you think tennis would have uh, – would this have been welcomed? Would this have been – I mean, I, I'm, people ask this all the time, right? I mean, this is sort of, I, I think, a natural – after Jason Collins, I mean, I think there was there was a lot of what, why are there no out male tennis players and what would it be like if someone did decide to come out during their playing career? And I think people have all sorts of opinions, but I think you're uniquely suited to uh, – I don't know if it's something you've, you've thought about or have opinions of, but I think it's, I think it's an interesting hypothetical.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I'm sure it could have been more tough in the locker room environment. I mean, it is a, you know, everybody's extremely friendly. It's, it's a nice environment there. I, you know, I, I don't think it could have been a huge problem, but certainly there are going to be people that this, um, having a gay person there could has the likelihood or potential to offend. I don't think that's everybody, but certainly that's out there. And I think in general, you know, you always want to feel like one of the guys who gets along well with everybody, who can be a part of every conversation, who's not going to be um, offended or, or, you know, cause any sort of controversy or problem. And I think the fear sort of would have been, you know, are people going to act differently around me if, you know, if this were to be the case or what do I do with with some of the comments maybe from, some players who may have you know who may not agree with homosexuality you know what it, it, it felt like a variable that um, at that point in time was something that I didn't want to add fuel to and maybe that was sort of my desire to want to be the best player I could be to have the best relationships with other players that I could um, you sort of just didn't want to, to rock the boat um, and I think that's You know, that's just kind of all I can sort of speak to is the maturity level that I was at 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 that time. I think if you looked at it today, I think the odds are it would be a much more welcoming environment uh, than maybe perhaps it was in the early 2000s.
1: I was going to say, I think I think we need to tam we know we need to timestamp this too because uh, ten years, twelve years, fifteen years doesn't seem like a lot of time, but I think views on this issue have really uh, evolved and transformed in the last. 10, 12 years. Oh, of
0: course. I mean, it was, yeah, you got to take yourself back to sort of, you know, Bush being in office and wanting a constitutional amendment on marriage. And, you know, there's a lot of angry, divisive talk about the subject. And I think people felt very open to express their views on it. So when you sort of hear that sort of language that's constantly happening around you, I think intuitively or instinctively, that was sort of another reason for me to not want to explore that. It was just something I would hold on to very tightly. I think now, you know, you see a lot of guys who are much more, I think back then too, if you sort of even were friends with gay people, that was somehow a reflection of you and your own sexuality. So they were sort of stigmatized in that way. And I think now you see even some of the best athletes in the world who are saying, Hey, I think this is great. I support the cause. I support the initiative. I'm still married to my wife, but I think this is a great thing. And I, and I support that in that kind of leadership, did not exist at that time. Exactly. I
1: mean, I, I always tell the story, uh, you know, I, I say this as, you know, heter- heteronormative, disgendered white male, but, you know, I mean, my, my kids, my <laughs> kids will laugh when, uh, did you hear that? They said sexual preference. You can't say sexual preference. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> that's great that you're drawing these distinctions, but, you know, I, I had gym teachers that, you know, you, use the, the dreaded F word to describe people. I mean, the distance traveled, the uh, the the I can't think of a social issue that's that's. I mean, again, I say that from a certain perspective, but it seems like we've we sure. come very far in a very short amount of time, and uh,
0: it, it has evolved a lot. I mean, shoot, I'm seeing now. You know, I think what my friends told me, Tinder has like 56 different options of things you yeah, can, can self-identify with. I mean, I'm not sure that I I understand a lot of that. I'm still probably learning that as much as anybody else is, but um, you know, certainly seeing the acceptance. Um, has made things tremendously easier on me now, has made things I, I believe will make things a lot easier on my kids. You know, and that obviously is what sticks out for me as, you know, you talk about life after tennis and trying to find a sense of identity and purpose and, 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 and a relationship with the sport, but also self, self-awareness. self And I think, um, you know, having a couple of kids that you want to create a certain life for, it, it becomes very, um, a huge focus of mine now. And seeing that you know, my marriage um, is something that can be accepted and celebrated in the community, and 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 will not be a problem for them growing up. is um, is extremely important to me.
1: How how old are your kids?
0: They are ten months. Twins, <sighs> right? Two twin boys. Oh boy! They... So we went through the whole um, surrogacy process, and which was a about a year and a half, pain and ungodly expensive, but. Incredibly worth it when it all finally happened, but uh, the first four months they were alive, I was um, I was losing my mind. <laughs> um, Two people screaming at you in both ears is something that I, I don't wish on my worst enemy.
1: I was going to say the fir- first, but you're all you're in the clear now, right? I mean, tw- twin, I'm thinking now they're twin, sleeping twin through the night. Well.
0: It is great. Yeah, they exactly. they have this great relationship with each other. It is awesome. I absolutely love it. It's, this ten month period is is fantastic. The first three or four months, I <laughs> i wanted to run away
1: that i, I say that there's no sugar coating sleep deprivation and twi- twins is just uh i don't know how. You yeah know. i mean it was hope they guys... were
0: at least one kid was awake 23 hours a day <laughs> for i think two months Ice coffee
1: i hope you've uh i hope you have grandparents. A, a,
0: co- <laughs> a lot of caffeine
1: your uh, so. kids in a few years say, Dad, I want to play tennis. I want to get serious about this <laughs> sport. What, uh, what, what are you telling them? What, what advice would you give them that you wish someone had given you when you started to get serious?
0: Gosh, you know, it's so funny as you look back. I mean, I have experienced so much in life because of tennis. And, you know, if you really look at pe- successful players' history you know, their background, they oftentimes have a very um, combative relationship <laughs> with the sport and combative relationship with their parents. And it's a, you know, there is a lot to it. Um, but yet, had I not experienced all of that, I wouldn't be sort of standing where I am today. So, of course, in many cases, you want the, you want your kids to play tennis. You want them to learn and, and grow as a person and all the things that the sport gives you. On the other hand, now that I know how much work it is and how painful it is, I'm sort of hoping they'll pick another sport. Is that right? Um, Uh, you know, it'd be great if they play golf or, you know, something, you know, I'll I'll introduce them to golf. Lacrosse is really big up around here. I'm certainly going to put them to tennis, but I don't, in many cases, I really want them to play tennis because of um, what I believe are really strong life lessons you get as a result of playing it. But I'm not, I also live in fear of them trying to compare any of their results or anything like that to things I was able to accomplish. So, Whatever, we'll find a we'll find a middle ground. I
1: was gonna say they'll uh, we we don't what what's the cliche we you, you don't have the kids you expect to have. They're,
0: they're, I that's what lower, I would I would imagine. Not remote control. I'm hoping they just like sports. I, I think there's so much to be gained in sports uh, and and competition and pressure and winning and losing and all that. So I'm really hopeful that I don't get a hundred percent artistic child. But if I do, I will love them either way.
1: You see, I don't know if you've seen uh so, someone sent me some videos of uh. Andre Agassi's kid mm-hmm. who's a uh, he's got a mean curveball he's this great uh really know, he's probably 15 years old and he's a tremendous baseball player but uh I, I, again we um we, we don't get to remote control our kids
0: I know I know I just i, I it, it does excite me at the thought of experiencing or learning or being a part of a new sport and a, a new culture in some regards so I'm whatever we'll see how it goes the um
1: you were on the usTA board for for several years is that right
0: I was. I was, on, uh, I was on the national board from 2013 to 14, and now I am back on starting uh, uh, January of this year.
1: What do you see the USTA's role in uh, in, in this crazy sport? I mean, I mean sort of these, you know, you know, I, these, these, de- these divide. I mean, you're in a company, and you, you see business plans, and um, it, the structure sort of is what it is. And I feel like one of the beauties of tennis, but also one of the frustrations, are that, never mind the players, even administratively, these lines of demarcation get a little blurry. Um, where, sure. where can the USDA fit in here?
0: You know, for me, what they are doing, so obviously, you know, most of my interaction with the USDA growing up was in player development and seeing where they are today, which it has been creating so much more of a. Um, uh, sort of inclusive environment back, you know, back when I was competing, you were trying to be one of the one or two golden childs of the USDA. Right. And that was sort of, you know, if you were either one of them or you were not, and that was the ticket to wild cards, to grants, to everything. Um, you know, what they are doing now under Martin Blackman has been incredible to see. Uh, and I, it's very encouraging because I went through some really tough years um, back in the early to mid nineties. And now they have just, um they just making it more fair and making it more open to more players and giving more players an opportunity and and stop thinking that they can pick out a player at 16 years old and know the future. So from a player development perspective, I'm I'm super excited about it. And I think, you know, what we're doing at the U S open is, uh, I mean, I don't know, to me, it's just one of the most amazing tournaments uh, to be a part of. So I'm extremely encouraged by that. I think where the exciting opportunity is, is how to continue to expand the game at a grassroots level. And what can we be doing to, to, get more kids into the game and, and stop the uh, what I believe at times to be a misconception that unless you're sort of come from a middle to upper class family, you know, that's the only way tennis is going to be for you. I think we should, we need to, you know, sort of continue some of the outreach initiatives to, you know, expand, expand people playing as much as you can. I just, I feel so, um, so strongly that what tennis and the, the life skills that come from playing the sport can, can bring to people that, you know, one of the main reasons I serve on the board is just how we can get more people out there playing. That's
1: great. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, at some level, what you're describing with player development sounds not dissimilar to to venture capital, right? You you sort of <laughs> back uh, you you back a few startups and a few uh, um, projects that you feel strongly about. But I, I think you're right. And the, I mean, I think that always drives me crazy is, yes, tennis gets very expensive when you start playing professionally. Recreational tennis, especially if there's a public court, as there are in so many neighborhoods, you know, mm-hmm. you, you spend 150 bucks on a racket that's going to last you a few years. A can of balls costs the same thing now as it did when I was a kid. Um, you know, when start taking private lessons, it's a different story. But I think this misconception sure. of tennis as, as country club sport is something that can really be attacked. I mean, I don't know if that yeah. figures it, uh, but that, that yeah, and I'm, and I'm hopeful start.
0: that we will that we will do that because I, th- I think it's. Uh, um it is. I, I'd love to see, you know, not only was it sort of great for me for a variety of reasons of playing, but it was, it was fun for my family. I mean, we always had a great time together, you know, going out, playing on the court, just sort of laughing, having a great time. I think it's a great sport in that regard. And, and frankly, I, I am sort of thankful that, you know, 10 years after retiring, I can still go out and play. Um, so it's something that has, is, is continuing to be fun for me. It's great, certainly from a business standpoint now, um, I, I, I am very thankful and appreciative that tennis is my is you know is my sport and I, and I would love for I, I just think more people need to get out there and do it. So it's, I think the USCA is doing a great job, but I think we can even do a better job.
1: let, let, me, ask you, let me ask you one last question. Since I've always wondered this. Um, and I, I think it's very hard to message, but I, I think you know you look at the number of players, former players that are in, in finance now, some, some of them doing quite well. Yeah, you know, Richard Rennenberg and I mean, there's a whole Jim Grab. There's there's a number of players that have made a, a nice transition. I don't know if those opportunities are there. I mean, I, I don't know how how you feel personally. If if tennis doesn't enter your life, are you doing what you're doing now? But how can um, I mean, it's, it's again, it's it's tough to message, but how how can you get it out there that tennis will you'll avail yourself to opportunities perhaps that might not otherwise be there? But that makes sense. I, I didn't, I I didn't ask bad. that very cleanly, but
0: uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I tennis certainly opens a lot of doors in life. It just does. Um, so, you know, whether it more lends itself to a, you know, career down the road and, and, and finance, I think we, we have certainly proven there's a lot of players from the ATP Tour specifically that have transitioned well into the finance world. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, for, you know, for a variety of reasons, but I think, you know, to sort of answer your question, is tennis going to get you there? I mean, I think it's—I I think it's a—I don't know. I think it's a piece of it. I still—it's I—I don't—I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't have a great answer. No, for No,
1: I—I I always say, and it's a little bit icky to say, "Hey, play tennis." Look, you never know what kind of connections and uh, what kind of exposure this will lead to. But I, I just think there's there's something there that. Uh, T- tennis is
0: there, there is no doubt like relationships exactly. through sport exactly. Exactly. is a critical component as you get older and then in the business world. It is it is it is very important. And yes, there are a lot of very successful people who love to play tennis. Wait, boom. And do. So I think, I think your odds of it. getting the opportunity to you know to meet those people as a result of playing the game goes up incrementally. That goes, that's sort of, you know, without a doubt, and is, you know, one of the main reasons the U.S. Open does so well from a sponsorship standpoint, exactly. because exactly. a lot of the people who love tennis and who love to watch tennis, you know, come from a, a certain demographic. But, you know, sometimes I, I hate, to, I hate to, to emphasize that point too much, because I want the accessibility of the sport to still be there. Exactly. Um, no, and I want it's, people it's to know tricky, that, hey, uh, come out there, exactly. you can play. This is not just for a certain crust of people. This is an opportunity to, you know, it's, grow yourself in a new sport.
1: No, I th- I think you're you're right. I think I think it's really tricky, but I also think that for a lot of parents if you're got a talented 6 7 year old and you're trying to figure out what sport to play, it, it tennis has virtues that go beyond the purse that top players make. If that makes sense. Anyway, Absolutely. long longer discussion. But Absolutely. uh this was um, <laughs> this was great. I really appreciate this. Good uh, good catching up. I think um, you know, I'm a good go go find your unicorn. I think uh, if, if you're if you if you, if you go one for four Go one for four in venture capital.
0: Uh, one from four, I'll be rich and famous, living in the Hamptons, and it'll be wonderful.
1: Stay in Annapolis. Um, <laughs> this was uh, this this was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time.
1: All right, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks to Brian Vihaley for spending some time talking candidly about a number of topics. Uh, that was a uh, good good talk, as we say, good talk. Um, I'm John Worthtime. Jamie Lasanti is our producer. Keep your suggestions coming. They've been really good, and we've drawn uh, drawn a number of guests from your podcast suggestions, so thanks for those. Thanks for listening. You can get the SI Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. I'm John Wertheim. We'll talk again in seven days.